0: The military is called up to the biggest fight Britain's faced in generations, the battle against coronavirus. What can the forces do? Where are the pitfalls? And what's going to happen next?
1: From a UK national perspective, we are dealing with a a crisis of its scale and in its nature that we've not seen in peacetime.
0: I'm Kate Jabot and this is SITREP. It has been an extraordinary week, one in which major announcements have come one after the other at a dizzying pace. In the last few days, we've seen countries around the world raise borders and impose restrictions on their citizens of a sort unheard of in peacetime. As each country prepares to defend itself against the growing coronavirus outbreak, the Prime Minister invoked a wartime spirit and urged the nation to come together
2: we know how to beat it, and we know that if, as a country, we follow the scientific advice that is now being given, we know that we will beat it. And however tough the months ahead, we have the resolve and the resources to win the fight.
0: Well, millions have been told to work from home. The nation's schools are closing for the foreseeable future. And soon people could see the kind of restrictions on movement already in place in Italy, France and Spain. We're used to seeing the military called upon in emergencies, but this is on a different scale to anything we've seen in decades. Paul Osborne's been looking at how the forces fit into the government's plan.
2: The Ministry of Defence says the forces can add value to the national response that's needed to beat the coronavirus. It's already been involved in what it's called extensive planning and preparations, deploying support to local resilience forums, training up more liaison officers. At the centre of the plans, as many as 10,000 additional personnel on standby, doubling the effective military force able to assist. It's being referred to as the COVID Support Force. General Sir Richard Barrons is a former commander, Joint Forces Command.
1: From a UK national perspective, we are dealing with a a crisis of its scale and in its nature that we've not seen in peacetime. And we need to remember that for 30 years, we've not had to think about our national resilience. So we're beginning to find out just how brittle we are.
2: Already, some specific roles have been suggested, like delivering oxygen tanks to the NHS, likely to be vital in the days and weeks ahead. Logistics support is a big part of the plan, with drivers and engineers ready to help out as needed, and planners working with civilian authorities. Military aircraft have been put on standby, and medics could be deployed into the NHS. The MOD is looking at how the forces could boost the number of beds available for coronavirus patients. Rear Admiral Alex Burton is a former commander of UK Maritime Forces.
3: Where defence has got a distinct advantage is that the women and men of the three services and the civil service have careers shaped by planning for strategic shocks and then adapting, preparing and re-establishing a new
2: normal. There are inevitably knock-on effects for normal military activity, Any training not deemed essential could be scrapped or postponed. A series of exercises are either being shut down or delayed, and R&R periods for those returning from overseas are also being cancelled. The MOD's also thinking about how to handle personnel who themselves fall ill with the virus, and what that might mean for the numbers available to help. Already there are cases in Cyprus and Poland, but officials say Defence's number one priority now is to support civilian authorities through the crisis. Meanwhile, former Royal Navy Commander Tom Sharp wants other vital duties will remain.
3: But there are tasks that are out there that can't stop. The continuous at sea deterrence being a a great example. There's a submarine out there right now under the water, which is either the safest place on the planet or the most dangerous place on the planet, depending on whether or not they've got a, a case of this on board.
2: Meanwhile, scientists from the Defence Science and Technology Lab at Porton Down are already helping staff from Public Health England as they try to understand the virus and tackle its spread across the country.
0: Paul Osborne there. Well, the coming weeks and months are likely to present an unprecedented challenge to everyone. And the military, as we've been hearing, is no exception. But it's in a strong position to play a crucial role, according to Tobias Elwood, a former defence minister who now chairs the Commons Defence Select Committee.
4: Actually, we have some of the best strategic planners in the world uh, in the Ministry of Defence, and they would have been embedded in all the other government departments over the last few weeks, helping them make their decisions and posing very difficult questions as to how they can keep uh, their departments functioning when their workforce will be tested, possibly to one fifth of their workforce uh, not at work. How do you infill? How do you make sure that you firstly make an assessment: of what is a critical service? What can be dropped? What needs to be uh, kept going? and whether or not, as a last resort, you have to lean on the armed forces to step in.
0: As this health crisis worsens, how might the involvement of the armed forces
4: change? Well, it's for the request of the local authorities or from a national perspective. Let's take the national one first. We need to make sure that the fuel is, uh, arrives at all our petrol stations across Britain. If there's a shortage of tanker drivers, there's a shortage of fire truck drivers or ambulances and so forth, that is the sort of thing that the armed forces can step in to do. We've also seen in the past that when there's been a terrorist attack that uh, the British forces step in to provide guard duties in front of Number 10 in Whitehall, relieving the police so they can actually do more law and order duties uh, across the country. On a local government level, there's also duties that any local authority needs to continue doing. We can drop the grass cutting for a little while, but you can't drop the collection of rubbish bins, for example. So these are the sort of things that uh, uh, the armed forces could step in functioning of our motorways, airports, ports and so forth. These are all the sorts of things that we have the armed forces very able to step in and provide that support. Yeah, and you mentioned airports there. What do you think about airlines? Many of them are on the
0: brink; flights are grounded. Could you foresee the military having to step in to, to get people home?
4: Well, there's a big question right now. We have a lot of Brits that are stuck. I spoke to a couple that are actually based in Cyprus, which might be a bad place, given uh, uh, the armed forces will be very well familiar with that site. But there are Britons that are stranded across the world, and the FCO will be then talking to the MOD to say whether they require any support. So make it clear though that most departments will first look to the civilian sector to see whether they can uh, meet their repatriation requirements. If they can't, then absolutely the last resort is the MOD. How
0: important is it to make sure that military personnel themselves are protected both on land and at sea? What do you think is being done?
4: Well, you raise such an important question. Normally when there's flooding or let's say there's a prisoner officer strike or something, the armed forces is able to step in. And this time, they're actually helping people uh, provide you know, spaces or, or gaps in, in their workforce, but they're suffering from the very same challenge themselves. What I'm pleased to hear... A new test is being developed to check, to confirm whether you actually are having the virus uh, at the moment or indeed have, have you, if you've had it. When that is rolled out on a large scale, it will be used in our hospitals, our doctors and nurses, as well as, as our police and our armed forces. And that may, means that we can make sure uh, that people aren't having to isolate for 14 days, taking away that capability, that emergency resource that, of course, we lean upon uh, on a quite a regular basis.
0: That was Tobias Elwood speaking to Rosie Lade, and well, joining me now is our defence analy- analyst, Christopher Lee. Christopher, we've seen the military help out with floods, with public sector strikes, but we've never seen anything quite like this in our lifetimes, have we?
1: Well, that's that's true. It, I mean, it's, the, it's an invisible enemy, but there's the other side of it, and that is that you're making. Uh, you're making a case for putting the military in charge or, in some cases, just in aid uh, of the civil power, in very practical things, things that they can see. And you're doing it with a force which is disciplined. It's largely young, so therefore versatile. It has a command and control system. It has the resources. Um, but the one thing it doesn't have, and that is the the, the the sort of action just to go and do what it would will instead of the civil power. And don't forget, that's the important thing. So, for example, you put a policeman outside number 10 and you take him away and put a soldier outside number 10. But the reason you do that is that the soldier hasn't got the hasn't got the authority to arrest somebody and go to that extra stage of of policing. And that's very important is to remember that the the, the police uh, have to carry on their normal duties, the people that shift muck from in council officers they have to carry on their normal duties yes. the, the the army is there and it's mainly army the army is there as an aid to the civil power not to sort of uh, to take over from the civil power so
0: the the two operations have been named operation broadshare how the military will help abroad and operation rescript which is what's happening in the UK um I suppose we have a. Plan. It's largely
1: a UK thing, isn't it? Really, yeah. and that's where is, and that's where it's sort of visible, and that's where, for example, if you do get into certain problems, the the civilian population is very pleased to see, and it's has happened in other incidents. Very pleased to see sort of, you know, an army platoon turning up to try and sort or sort out a problem. They have absolute faith in in the army system, where they, where the faith in this in the civilian system. Uh, is is, is less obvious.
0: And I suppose what the military is involved in is likely to keep changing.
1: Uh, Yeah, but that's where you get the the thing with with, with the military, that it's versatile. Uh, You go into a war, you go into a shooting war, 15 minutes after you've gone into it, all the rules have changed, all the planning has changed. Uh, You have to start rethinking. This is what the the military do brilliantly. And so they have different skills um, and they have different approaches, but they, they, they sort out problems and that's what the military can do, and they can do it unobtrusively. Christopher, uh, and they don't have to go to a big, don't have to go to a sort of a cabinet meeting to do so.
0: All right, Christopher, stay with us. VFBS, The
2: Forces Station. station.
0: Well, it's not just the British forces who are being called on to respond to the outbreak around the world. Military resources are being reallocated. The U. S. Defense Secretary Mark Esper explained what America's forces will do.
5: The Army's work on a vaccine is one of the many ways the Department of Defense is supporting President Trump's whole of government approach to fight the virus and substantially slow its spread. The Department of Defense will make available up to 5 million N95 respirator masks and other personal protective equipment from our own strategic reserves to the Department of Health and Human Services for distribution. The first 1 million masks will be made available immediately. Next, we are prepared to distribute to HHS up to 2,000 deployable ventilators for use as needed. Third, the Department has made our 14 certified coronavirus testing labs available to test non-DOD personnel as well, and we will soon offer two additional labs for that purpose. We hope this will provide excess capacity to the civilian population. Finally, we are considering activating National Guard and Reserve units to assist states with planning, logistics, and medical support as needed.
0: That was the US Defence Secretary Mark Esper there. Well, usually military assistance to civilian authorities is relatively short term, but this time the commitment appears to be open-ended. Michael Clark is a former Director General of the Royal United Services Institute and has been speaking to Paul Osborne.
6: Military aid to the civil power, as it's called, MACP and sometimes MACA, military aid to civil authorities, is something that is part of all military tasking because there's different ways in which the military can aid the civil authority. So that's nothing unusual there. And since the advent of a lot of terrorism in Britain, Operation Tempera has uh, created a situation where up to 10, sometimes even 12 or 13,000 troops could be deployed Although generally that was anticipated for counter-terrorism actions and that's only happened two or three times and usually for a period of about 48 hours. So one of the things that's interesting about this situation is that if the military get involved, then the chances are they're going to be involved for several months, not a couple of days or a couple of weeks. The nearest parallel I can think of would be the run up to the 2012 Olympics where the military brought in in the final, I think it was month or five weeks to deal with all the ticketing issues that were going out, spinning out of control. And they did a fabulous job. I was involved a little bit in in looking at what they were doing at the time. They were very, very good. But this would be a different order of magnitude. This would be a big commitment for quite a long time. And I think the military would also be, to a degree, that they're not very comfortable with. They'd be making it up as they go along.
2: Of course, the mood's going to be very different, isn't it? The Olympics were a feel-good moment. There was a huge amount of goodwill for the forces back then, this time it won't necessarily be the same.
6: Yes, and and I don't think we we will, we won't see the military on the streets in the way that that, uh, some of the popular press tend to talk about it. I I mean, what the military will will do initially is they can provide transport, they can provide logistics, they can provide tremendous planning uh, facilities. So if it is the case that um, certain sort of key stocks of medicines or food Um, has to be moved around, or if it's a case that machinery or or medical equipment has to be moved around, if necessary at short notice, then the military are really good at doing that, and they can set up a system whereby it can happen reasonably quickly and easily. It won't be cheap, but then, you know, the military isn't cheap because they do everything in a certain sort of way. They bring a big organisation to prepare on it, and they solve the problem. So that's the sort of thing that they will do. And, you know, when they say we will bring the army in, um, it really means that the army will be providing backup if things get really difficult, if we're thinking in terms of civil disorder, and that's at the, you know, the, the, the opposite end of the spectrum, really, which ministers you know, really hope we don't get anywhere near that. But if we did, again, the military, would the first thing they would do is back up the police by doing other police jobs so that the police could be at the front end of dealing with the public. And it's a last resort, in a way, to have the military on the streets acting as policemen. That's not what they're trained for. It's one of the things they're not specially good at. Um, but everything up to that level... Uh, is something they can certainly turn their hands to.
2: There's always been that desire to separate military and civilian authorities. Given the pace of the announcements, though, in the last few days, if the government decides down the line it needs to be more forceful, it needs to be forcing people, as it were, to stay at home and not to travel, then theoretically the military could be asked to help out with that.
6: Well, in an extreme case, that might be true. It's possible because you know, we've never been in this situation before that events, events might move quite quickly. If we ended up with troops, as it were, performing a, a sort of pseudo-police role, then again it would be at the lowest end of the policing area, and I'm I'm pretty sure they would do it very, very well. What the army provides more than anything else is numbers. It it can it can turn out a lot of people, if necessary, at short notice. And so, you know, rather than having, as it were, you know, soldiers in twos walking up and down the high street. Um, looking at you know, parking and that sort of thing that that wouldn't be the case but if we needed a lot of soldiers in order to cordon off an area then they could turn out more easily than you can turn out 200 policemen you can turn out 200 soldiers to actually put a physical cordon around an area or something like that and the other thing that i found during the olympics as you say it was a very different atmosphere but you know with people being directed to go left rather than right in their cars um or to actually turn around and go back because they've come the wrong way If if a Marine corporal comes up to you and leans into your car and says, sorry, sir, you're going to have to turn around and go back, you don't tend to argue. Um, There is is a sort of a, there's a mystique about somebody in military uniform, male or female, that by and large people do what they're told when somebody in uniform, military uniform, tells you to do
2: it. Aside from the kind of roles we've talked about in the United States, the Defence Secretary there has talked about the US military providing ventilators to assist health services. Is that the kind of thing where the military could help?
6: Yes, for sure. I mean, when we look at the number of ventilators we've got in this country, which is is far inadequate compared to the number I think we're going to need, everyone thinks we will need, then the military can add a few hundred ventilators to that figure. Um, you know, the figure that's being touted at the moment is that we need upwards of 12,000. And the military can throw in the, the few hundred that it's got and some of the medical facilities that it can create. The other thing the military can do is it can, it can produce as well, mobile medical facilities quite quickly. So insofar as the um, the Royal Army Medical Corps, can deploy then they will be able to be a value in in being able to deploy at fairly short notice to be sent here or sent there and they can break down the material and you know come somewhere else with it much more easily than the health service can also although you know one shouldn't compare what the military can do in medical terms to what the health service does which is a a massive organization what they do provide that could be useful they can provide in very specific ways but remember that the uh, the, the Royal Army Medical Corps, you know, the medical services, military medical services, are designed to practice medicine in, as it were, battlefield and battlefield-related conditions. So you know they're very good at trauma, they're very good at gunshot wounds, they're very good at explosions, that people are suffering with that sort of trauma and accidents. Um, they, there's just less of the medical services in the military are de- are designed to cope with longer-term illness because that's something which. Um, is always dealt with by the
0: health service. That was Professor Michael Clark speaking earlier to Paul Osborne. Well, Christopher Lee, our defence analyst, is still here. Christopher, you mentioned about the military be- it being the last resort to have the military on the streets. Um, it's going to be hard, though, to avoid a more public military role in the next few months.
1: Yes, it is. There, there, I think there are, it's important to remember that the, the military tend to be very welcome uh, I mean, Mike Clark touched upon it there about, you know, with a Royal Marine Lance Corporal leaning in and telling you to turn left.
0: The mystique of the uh, uniform. It
1: is the mystique of the uniform, but it's also true that they're actually very good at doing that sort of thing. But that's not their role. Um, the importance is that in a crisis, and this we we're only at the beginning of all this, the crisis is going to become far more traumatic nationally as it watches the, the consequences of the virus unfold. And therefore, it is that sort of idea that you've got the military on board trying to hack this thing. Uh, confidence. It, it, is, it, is, it, is more, it is comforting, just not just confidence. There's something else, though. You know, We're talking of perhaps having as many as 20,000, 10,000 on standby, etc. Where is the army in particular going to get all these people from? Uh, and they're well, going to, there's talk they're of going to,
0: reservists being called up isn't there
1: there aren't that many reservists and also the reservists will be going through the normal sort of channels that the reservists do uh, they will still be working at home or they'll be sweating it out with a, with a virus mm. now, the, the important thing to remember there aren't that many we're talking here about a quarter of the whole military constitution a quarter of the people that we've got in the military at the moment and you're not going to be able to sustain them for very long and we're talking about something which you could go into next year Mm. because the worse it gets the more you actually more you actually need them and there's the third thing to remember through this operation of trying to counter the virus you have a perfect ground for terrorism and that is going to be a large part of what the intelligence services will be doing, concentrating on. And you will have to use military as part of that of the security practice. So much for the well reassurance, Christopher. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's practical side of looking at something like this. You stick guys on the streets. No, that's not their role. It's to say, look, if you want us to go and get something, we can go and get it with whatever, our C-130s or whatever. Uh, but, we, but there's a much bigger problem, and that is the way of trying to keep a civilised way of life for a nation, uh, re- reassured that the military are there because they give that sort of impression that they can do that. And they have done uh, over the past sort of 40 years of, of, of aid to of the civil power, including Northern Ireland. Mm. You can do that, but you can't do it. it, 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 it it's it, it's nothing to do with sort of uh, pixie tissues as as somebody once called the whole thing, you can pretend that you can do it. Pixie but in tissues, fact, honestly. Pixie tissues. That's all. That's all mm-hmm. is there. The angels ain't cool with pixie tissues. They want the real thing, and okay. the real thing is is being able to be part of something, but Mm. not for people to think that you can solve it.
0: Well, one of the most recent examples of the military being deployed to assist in a domestic emergency came in Salisbury after the Novichok poisoning of Sergei and Yulia Skripal in 2018. Hamish de Breton-Gordon is a former British army officer and chemical weapons expert.
3: Within the military, we've got 100,000 plus people who are highly trained, and they're trained in a variety of, of different skills. And when it comes to supporting the civil authorities, which this could happen in this case, they're well versed in it. And I think if we look particularly at coronavirus, most of the military are trained to be able to uh, operate in a contaminated environment. You know, they have the equipment uh, on them, their own personal equipment. We are incredibly fortunate that we've got a very large group of men and women who will do an excellent job.
0: How do we protect military personnel so that they are available to help when the public needs them?
3: Well, the military will be protected in the same way that, that civilians are. And I think it's very important that the advice coming out of the government, the NHS, are followed. And I'm sure, you know, military commanders, you know, around the country and around the world where the British military deployed will be reinforcing that. Um, so that it'll be no different at all. Uh, we, we, we know how to keep safe. And if we get ill, we need to follow the direction that we have there. Uh, With the military, of course, you know, on operations, this this can be more difficult. However, you know, as you're generally fairly isolated, you know, the the chance of of, uh, contagion on a wide scale would appear to be limited. But, you know, I'm not a medical expert in this area. I'm sure all these contingencies are being looked at. And uh, I'm sure the, the British military will operate brilliantly as it always does
0: are there any lessons that the military learnt from the uh, the salisbury attack that they can take into the coronavirus
3: yes i think there are you know one of the key lessons that we learned from the salisbury attack and actually we know from all chemical attacks is the importance of decontamination Uh, and that that we're seeing that with the coronavirus as well to prevent the spread of of the virus You know, the best thing you can do is wash your hands properly. And in a way, that's that decontamination we've learned from Salisbury. The first job of the military is to protect the country. And there are many hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, British military deployed on current operations. And they will need to be looked after and supported first. But uh, I'm sure that is being looked at. Uh, you know, and our medics are, are the best in the world, and will do a fantastic job if they're called on to do do this and to help the NHS to protect us uh, from the coronavirus.
0: That was Hamish De Bretton-Gordon speaking to Lisa Hartle. Christopher Lee: The forces will be asked to help the country cope with a virus to which the forces are every bit as vulnerable as everybody else. Perhaps even more if they're on operations, as suggested by Hamish De Bretton-Gordon.
1: Yeah, um, that that's going to be it's going to be so for the whole the whole country, isn't it? I mean, you cannot expect one organisation, whatever its reputation, and nobody has done anything else but sort of say, "Aren't these wonderful guys?" And whatever they are asked to do, they will fix it because they've got the organisation, they've got the training, and they've got the instinct to do so, and they've always done it. But the truth is, they are as vulnerable at certain parts in what they are able to do. Now, get this right about the military: the military isn't therefore. The, the solution to the whole thing no. the military would be called in because we are incapable at the moment of the way society is organised to do it without the military and the military being part of it you sort of call them out and say well, you're trained to do this let's do it uh, let's come in and let's uh, and let's be part of it but you're not the solution and that is what people yeah. should recognise.
0: That said though we heard earlier the defence lab at Porton Down helping to try to learn more about the virus and how to beat it I mean that could be the way it's all going to end
1: uh, i think a lot of things end at port and down but that's not one of them you've got <laughs> to assume you've got to assume that every laboratory that has a that, i don't know that, that has a a, a a scientific bowl in its head is trying to do that at the moment and again don't put everything onto ah, port and down we know about that and therefore mm. it might come up with a solution the solution it's an option <laughs> The solution can come up in somewhere like China, it can come in Wisconsin Indeed. or whatever. Mm.
0: Well, the huge changes announced in the past week have any number of knock-on effects. One is the likely delay to the defence review promised by the government a few months ago. Former National Security Advisor Lord Ricketts told MPs earlier this week that if it goes ahead at all, it will have to be stripped down to the bare essentials.
6: I do not see how a deep and thorough integrated review covering the entire spectrum can now be done by July. I mean, we did ours in 2010 in five months, um, it was rushed. I do not know, of course, whether they will want to put off the entire exercise, including a comprehensive spending review. Um, if they are going to go ahead with a spending review in July, which they may well, because the whole of government spending will have been um, bent out of shape by the pandemic crisis, then um, perhaps they should be aiming for um, at least the outlines, the principles um, of um, uh, an integrated review, the foreign policy baseline, some principles about um, uh, Britain's role in the world, um, and uh, some initial priorities, leaving more detailed work to be done later.
0: Lord Ricketts there, a Lee. a full-scale review may be impossible, but you do still need to plan for some kind of post-virus future.
1: You do. And we've got to remember, it was marvellous seeing the Chancellor get up and saying, look, I've got all this money and I'm going to spend it. And that's what he's going to do. But who pays for it? And the truth is that all the separate departments from health to education to transport to defence is going to have to pay for this thing. Because by the end of the summer, each department will have, including defence, will have, look at your budget because you're not going to have such a big budget next year very likely. So the Defence Ministry is going to feel number 10 Downing Street looking at big projects that they've got, for example, the aircraft carriers, Triton missile uh, uh, upgrading, etc. And they're going to be saying we can get billions, not millions, but billions Mm. out of these projects. So irrespective
0: irrespective of the fact that at this moment in time people are looking to the military for potentially for support, um, they may actually be the losers financially long term.
1: Well, they're always going to be vulnerable. Uh, the military is always going to be vulnerable, but the point, is, the, the, the point being, the point being here, you then start to for people to think what you actually do with your military, and when you consider that there is this sense at the moment, which will probably have gone by in 12 months' time mm. or five years' time or whatever, that the world has changed, we don't see the world as we once saw it, we don't see therefore the use of some of the some of the budgets and how we spend budgets in places like the defence mm. ministry as we do now. No, no, before- I suspect. I suspect that a lot of big projects will be perishable uh, when, when government comes to actually doing the accounting for the whole for the whole idea of fighting a virus.
0: Well, before um, we go, we should look at one other big story to emerge. Plans to impose a five-year limit on prosecutions against soldiers and veterans who've served abroad. The Defence Secretary says the proposals would protect serving and former military personnel from what he called vexatious legal action. Christopher, uh, soldiers who served in Northern Ireland aren't included in this legislation, but the government's still promising equal protection
1: yeah and that's because you have the, the sort of the, the, the ancient investigations into things that, uh, that that took place over a certain period isn't it fascinating
0: what does it mean though that equal protection
1: equal protection the idea being is that the after a certain date unless there is any for example any new evidence then your protection is how you were. It was considered non-investigative. So that it could be uh, the
0: same, but maybe not the five-year limit that's just been introduced or suggested. It could
1: be. It could be different from the five-year limit. But the most interesting part of it, uh, if you happen to be in the services, the most interesting part of it is it's taken until now for mm. somebody to go into the House of Commons with a bill in their hand and say, <laughs> "Will, will you pass this?" The Americans did this ages ago. Uh, and also the idea that you can send you can send guys off to say Iraq or Afghanistan, and they are vulnerable uh, to what sometimes is just uh, public opinion on what they might have committed and how they might have committed when, when when sent to war, and yet now you're asking them to come in and help out with an enemy that they can't see.
0: There's been a huge amount of debate around this subject. Do you think this is finally going to put things to bed?
1: No, I don't think it'll put things to bed. I think it'll take it that stage further, and it's very important and, uh, for the next say, the next deployment. And also evidence that may come up with incidents uh, for the past two major deployments, that is Iraq and, uh, and I suppose, Af- Afghanistan. The military is vulnerable, and the military always feels vulnerable. Uh, and just cannot believe that it's not protected from this sort of thing. People do behave differently. People come across different situations in wartime. And that is the important thing that we're not protected. The military is not protected by 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 the laws of this land. And somebody can be prosecuted in laws were designed for in entirely different situations. And I think that's unnerving. To some extent it's unnerving. But you know, if you're a soldier, you joined up and you didn't think about what the law might be. You joined up because you wanted to be a soldier. <laughs> and the next thing is you're driving a van down high street and say, How can I help?
0: Well, on that note, we'll leave it for now. My thanks to you, Christopher, and to all of our guests. Don't forget you can keep up with the latest on how the military is joining the fight against the coronavirus at forces.net slash news. And you can keep up with us on Twitter. We're at BFBS SITREP. Until next time, from me, Kate Chabot, thanks for listening. Goodbye. BFBS. The Forces Station. station. SITREP.